0: Hey everybody, this is Kyle Sconowil from Friends From Work, and before I return you to your previously scheduled programming, I wanted to quick give you an update on something we talked about last Thursday on our What's New in the MCU episode. We talked about how Spider-Man was not going to be in the MCU because Disney and Sony could not work out a deal. But, breaking news as of Thursday night late, right after we put out that episode, Sony and Marvel worked out a deal to set Spider-Man in the MCU again for at least two more movies. There will be a third solo Spider-Man movie releasing on July 16, 2021. And as part of this deal, he is also going to be appearing in another Marvel movie that we don't know yet. So that could be an Avengers movie, that could be something else, But for now, we at least have Spider-Man back for two more movies. I'll save any excess commentary that I have for a later date, as I'm sure Robbie and I will be getting into this a lot in the coming weeks. But needless to say, everybody's obviously very excited. Sony's excited, Marvel's excited, and we as fans of Spider-Man and the MCU are very excited about this news. It's just for two films for now, but hopefully that just gets us started and they can work out some more deals for more films in the future. Robert Lawson, the chief communications officer for Sony Pictures, said, We had a great collaboration over the last four years, and our mutual desire to continue was equal to that of many fans. We are delighted to be moving forward together. As are we, Robert. I now return you to your previously scheduled programming of our breakdown of Iron Man 1. Thanks for listening. All right, all right, all right, Robbie. We're back, baby. Yeah, we are. We're back on the Friends from Work podcast, but this episode is going to be about Iron Man 1, which gets old Kyle real excited. Oh, there
1: he is. There he is. I'm
0: Kyle. I'm Kyle Sconowell. He's Robbie Earl. We're excited to be back here, and we're excited to have you listening.
1: Before we get started, um, I actually had a few thoughts left over from Captain Marvel last week that didn't come to me until I was kind of reflecting on it over the past few days. Ooh, the leftovers The leftovers um, I love it So one thing I'd actually meant to say and, and didn't um, I think that it, it was sort of a crime for me to not bring up the score from this film Which I think is fantastic um, I thought the Captain Marvel music was really great It was uh, Pinar Teprak scored it She was the first female composer to, I think, score any superhero movie ever Not just a Marvel movie Oh, wow yeah, I, uh, I really like, I love, like, the Captain Marvel theme itself, and I know I, you know, I, I was kind of raving about the Alan Silvestri uh, Captain America score as well. I don't love every score in the MCU, especially some that we're going to kind of come up on here in the next few movies in our watch order, but that, those two, I think, are highlights.
0: So Robbie, this might also be a really good time to tell people that me and you are working through what we call the most essential MCU music playlist. Yeah, we are. So on Spotify and Apple Music, putting together the playlist that best fits all these movies. And I've got mine tweaked a little bit from yours, so I'm excited to show people that too. We can we can share that link online.
1: Yeah, that'll be fun. And then also, kind of just as I was reflecting, Kyle, okay. this is maybe controversial, and after watching this movie... Um, which we'll introduce in a second. Um, I think Captain Marvel actually moved up a bit in my list from what I, I said at the end of the last episode.
0: What? Okay. Can yeah. we do that? Is that legal or do you guys play by the rules?
1: I don't know. We might. You might have to take me to court on this. I. Okay. I. Uh, the thing is- What would, would
0: you move it to if you could move it?
1: If I could move it, it, it would go up to an 81 for me. No,
0: you- uh, Wait, weren't you at, what were you at? 76?
1: At 76.
0: That's too big of a jump. I can't let you move 5% points.
1: You know, I just, I, I thought about it some, and I thought about the way it related to this one and to Iron Man. And I was looking at my list. For me, it was, it was less a jump in, okay, well, we're going from seven, 76 quality to 81 quality. And more, I was looking at the movies that I had ranked above it. And I just think that it's a better movie than some of those movies. Well,
0: here's the deal. The more I thought about it too, I would probably move it up a little bit only because some of my concerns after I listened to our podcast, you uh you eased some of those concerns for right. me. Okay. So okay. congratulations, to you. But Thank I'm not you. gonna change it. I'm not gonna change it now because I wanna kinda stick with it and Cause just fall. Yeah, because I you know, follow
1: rules. Right, right. So right. You know, you I we never laid out any any rules on our rankings here. I'm trying to keep it <laughs> fluid so that at the end of this whole process I have a very authentic representation of where I stand. I don't want to lock things in time like Captain America, you know, and just (laughs) (laughs) never never let them change. That's Uh, fair. That's fair. Okay. Okay. So yours is a
0: little more fluid, but then maybe by the end we'll then have some rules set about a final list at some
1: point. Right. Okay. Um, But yeah, so those are my, those are my leftover thoughts from Captain Marvel. And like I said, part of what I, I liked about it and what sort of made me move it up is the way that, In certain ways, it flowed into this week's movie, which, as Kyle has already said, is Iron Man. Whoop, 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 yep. Iron Man was released April 14th, 2008. Um, It was directed by Jon Favreau, who got his start writing and starring in the film Swingers. That was kind of his first big movie with Vince Vaughn. You might also know him from films like Elf. Uh, Chef, which is one of my favorite movies, actually as an aside, Jungle Book, most recently The Lion King, and something I'm pretty excited about uh, the upcoming Disney Plus Star Wars series, The Mandalorian.
0: He's um, great, by the way. That's what everyone needs to know. He's, he's one great. of these guys now. At this point, where pretty much everything he touches, I watch.
1: Yeah, that's that's, and yeah. that's a
0: small list of directors, but he's in there for me. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, I, I, he did, you know, he also directed the decidedly less popular. Sequel to Iron Man, which we'll be covering soon. Um, but that's which which I can't wait.
0: I can't wait to get to that
1: one, by the way. I am, I'm really excited to talk about it. I have some thoughts there. Uh, he also produced Iron Man 3 and all the Avengers films, and then of course, he also plays the character of Happy Hogan in all three Iron Man films, as well as Spider Man Homecoming, Spider Man Far From Home, and Avengers Endgame. So great! So yeah, he's 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 a legend. I actually think he has literally been named a disney legend in the past week or two um for his outstanding contributions to the world of disney i, I just saw this in an article um well i was just so, kind of
0: thinking that when you said that he's probably been about as you know transformational for this entire mcu as anybody i mean really he's been very involved in a ton of it
1: oh absolutely and i i think in some ways, you know, as a producer for all the Avengers films, I mean, obviously he's been involved, uh, but also just in terms of setting the tone. Um, right. I mean, even just, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. What's really interesting about this movie, a lot of it does fall on John Favre and Robert Downey Jr. and their working relationship. Yeah. Because... It I mean, it's pretty astounding. I don't know how much you know, but I guess before we kind of get going, some fun facts about this. Uh, This movie is sort of famous for having not much of a script. Yeah, Uh, right. Much to the chagrin of Jeff Bridges, who uh, is known for preparing meticulously for his roles. Uh, He described the movie as a $200 million student film. (laughs) What? because yeah. he said that there was such a lack of a real script and a lack of rehearsal. And so I was reading about it. A lot of what was going on was just John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. kind of playing off of each other and doing a lot of things in real time. A lot of this movie is improvised in a way that, like, I didn't even realize the extent to which it's improvised, Kyle, but, like, the line, I am Iron Man, was improvised by Robert Downey Jr.
0: The like, the final line, the really? The final line. Okay, so certainly there had to been some kind of at least like constraints for for each scene, right? I mean, like sure, they at least sure. knew had an idea, right? I mean, okay. I,
1: so it's interesting. I mean, obviously there was there was a story. I mean, there, you know, there were writers on it. There was a story. They they right. had they had something that they were using, and obviously, I you know, I think that they did have dialogue because you can't just go the whole time purely improv. But I think a lot more of it is improv than I would have assumed. And so that line... Yeah, um, what
0: an amazing line to improv, by the way. Well, yeah,
1: so it's really interesting because, I mean, that's obviously a huge... That changes the entire movie. Um, And I guess... This is at least what he says. Who knows? But this is what Kevin Feige maintains, is that he actually... He heard Robert Downey Jr. do that just on set, liked it so much that he had it put in the final version... And then liked the tone it set so much that it made him decide to basically keep the MCU generally free of secret identities
0: every superhero movie we'd ever really seen before this, everyone's always trying to protect their identity right so here comes Iron Man and even in Iron Man three, I think where he's like giving out his home address right like everybody knows who he is. I kind of love that idea yeah. also, I am Iron Man, that line becomes so foundational for Tony as a character through all the films. Yeah. Like if you kind of think about it, like the first movie is him trying to figure out, is he Iron Man, is he not? Second movie is kind of about what is he if he's not the suit? And the third movie is him kind of figuring out that Tony Stark is Iron Man, not just the suits he makes, that he as a person is. Then obviously to finish it all with Endgame, you know, the last
1: line being I am Iron Man.
0: Right. Right what an unbelievable improv line.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is, it, that's the, that's what I'm saying. So much of this movie, I think, you know, I, I still think that Captain America is a great place to start in terms of kind of getting the heart of the MCU. But in terms of the tone of the MCU, I mean, this movie obviously was the first movie released, but it's so foundational. And it's crazy how much a lot of that relies on kind of the rhythms that Robert Downey Jr. was just kind of trying and playing with. I mean, especially if you go and you look at some of his screen tests, it's like so much of the whole universe is kind of an outgrowth of the way that he decided to play this character. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be overdramatic, but I, just, I really right. do think because uh, before that, you really didn't have movies, superhero movies that nailed this tone.
0: Right. right. That's my biggest what worked is that yeah. this movie is probably the most foundational tone-setting film of the whole thing.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm with you. Well, and it's so
0: funny. And, and think about – you know how you said last week or two weeks ago, you said that like the quippy hero is kind of easy nowadays, yeah. like every Marvel – well, that's because of Tony.
1: That's Like true. when Robert that's Downey
0: true. Jr. did it the first time, it wasn't the, the normal.
1: That's a great you know? point. That's a great point.
0: And so like this movie set that being the normal.
1: Well, and it's also – it's interesting you say that because Spider-Man – I think in some ways the reason why they've taken the the Tom Holland Spider-Man in the direction they have and kind of making him a little bit less funny and a little bit more awkward and geeky is because for the longest time, that was the role that Spider-Man held in the comics and in the TV shows. And they were trying to make Tobey Maguire in the Spider-Man movies funny and it did, it rarely worked. And Um, now
0: Tony's the funny guy.
1: Right, right. So they've really had to, you know, kind of adjust every other character to where they can kind of, play in that world and fit that tone, but have their own take. And that's another thing that I think Endgame did really well, is showing all these characters that all have their own sort of sense of humor um, while still, like, maintaining each of their, their identities. Uh, but right. again, all of that, I think, yeah, comes in from the way Robert Downey Jr. and John Favre, unmistakably, I mean, if you've watched any other John Favre movies, this and and in some ways, I mean, Iron Man 2... Again, we'll talk about, but both of these movies feel so John Favre.
0: Well, I wanna say one other side note on that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm a big Office fan, the show The Office, and uh, the first season of The Office, like, struggled. Um, Because it was so awkward, people didn't know if they should watch it, and and there was a moment where the four main actors were at actors and actresses were at dinner, and they loved it so much. And I've watched this behind the scenes where they they just at this dinner said, "Can you guys imagine if this became our job? How cool this would be?" You know, hindsight's crazy, but that's kind of the same vibe I've heard about this movie with commentary, like when they took a chance on Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau and there was a little bit of this vibe of, like, they didn't know if it was going to work. Right. Like, they they really didn't know that this was going to end up being the most foundational film for the next 12 years for these movies. Right. That'd be crazy to be a fly in the wall, you know, on those conversations of, like, they're taking these risks, then they don't have a script. And right. Robert Downey Jr. was not coming from some, like...
1: Oh, no. You know, he, he was, was like, coming from a very out.
0: troubled background. Yeah. So, like, it was a risk.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's also really interesting... Um, I'm going to I'm going to kind of butcher it, so I won't go into the details. But I was reading that basically, you know, Marvel famously sold off all the all the rights to its big A-list heroes um, in the '90s because it was going bankrupt, and Iron Man was some deal was worked out where they were basically betting their entire remaining IP on this movie, um, so they had to put this film up as some kind of collateral because the situation was essentially such that if Iron Man had not been successful, they would have had to have given up like all of the other Avengers characters and like any other characters that we've, that we've seen pretty much prior to Endgame. So, I mean, there was so much writing on this movie that again is, is so tied to these two guys. Um,
0: Fascinating. It really is. I read a really fascinating thing about how Stan Lee even came up with Tony Stark as a character. Um, apparently when he wrote this, it was, I think during the Vietnam war and all the like young people, all the like people under 30 were really anti-war, all this stuff. And he specifically wrote a character that they're going to hate. Like he said, I'm going to make a character that stands for everything, everything they're against. Like it's a guy who makes his money from war. He's a weapons dealer. He's a billionaire. Um, And then he said like, I'm going to make something they hate and then get them to love him. And I thought that was really interesting because that obviously is the case, you know, like he is a really likable butthole.
1: Right. Right. I mean, yeah, it's funny because they've, and they've maintained that thread, you know, it's not like they've, right. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good story. Um, one other thing that I thought was really interesting about this movie. Um, and in some ways we were obviously more introduced to Nick Fury in Captain Marvel But this iteration of Nick Fury that we see that we also saw briefly in in Captain America, I just haven't said this before, has a really interesting history in the comics. I don't know if you know this.
0: No, Um, I don't.
1: So in 2000, I think, maybe 99, uh, Marvel launched a a really famous line of comics called the the Ultimate Universe or the Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men, and then the Ultimates, which was... Uh, that version of the Avengers, which in a lot of ways, uh, the MCU version of the Avengers has been based off of. Okay. Um, So one of the kind of radical changes that they made, the whole premise was to kind of reboot in an alternate universe all the Marvel characters starting in the 21st century so that it was more relatable rather than everyone's origin being back in the 60s. And so one of the big changes they made was making Nick Fury, who up until then, and and still like in the main universe, is like an older white guy with salt and pepper hair into a black character modeled after Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) So getting Samuel
0: L. Jackson was perfect.
1: Yeah, I mean, so basically, yeah, They if you talk to the artists that were designing him, they sort of drew Samuel L. Jackson's role in the MCU into existence. Uh, because that's funny. Yeah. They, they created this character and then almost kind of, they wrote him, drew him based on what it would be like if Samuel L. Jackson was Nick Fury. So I, I, I just think it's so amazing that they were actually able to get him to come in. Yeah. What are some of the other things that you liked?
0: My what worked is so long that I'm going to instead try just take a real big picture look at this, okay? Because okay. I think there's so many individual scenes and little things that work, right? <laughs> but I'm not going to get into all of them because it would take me hours, okay? Fair. My, my big takeaway is one of the things we already mentioned, and we can move on, is just how foundational this movie is for the rest of the world. Um, crazy right. when you think about all those things we talked about. But, okay, this movie is a chemistry clinic, that's what I wrote oh, down.
1: Like, Oh, man.
0: There's just something about Tony and Pepper's chemistry that just works. Right. You know, it's perfect. But it's not just between them. There's also chemistry between Tony and old Rody Right. And by old Rody I mean Terrence Howard. But Tony and Rody Rody and Pepper, but also chemistry right. between all them and Coulson and Fury. It's just a chemistry clinic kind of across the board. It all just works. I really feel this movie. Right. The whole time. So, it's a chemistry clinic for me. Yeah. And I want to spin that into saying Robert Downey Jr., we cannot say enough of how perfectly he's played this role for 15 years. I really desperately want him to get some kind of award for Endgame. And if not for Endgame, some kind of like lifetime achievement role right. award. Because it's just, it's natural from the very beginning, there's no yeah. hiccup. I just, I, I buy everything he does.
1: Yeah. I mean, and he's, he's appeared in 10 of 23 MCU films. I mean, the, the franchise in so many ways has rested on his shoulders. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he definitely deserves some sort of achievement award (laughs) or whatever that would look like. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that about the chemistry, because I agree. Uh, I was actually reading that Gwyneth Paltrow struggled sometimes in this movie because it was so heavily improvised and because Robert Downey Jr. is so good at that and so quick, that sometimes- But she's
0: so quick too. Oh no, she's I mean, great,
1: she's great. But she just said, I mean, I, I, you obviously don't pick up on this, but she said there'd be times where she was just trying to keep up with him with the kind of banter. I mean, that's that's also sort of a landmark of John Favre's directing style is kind of people talking over each other in this fun kind of bantery way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you can, op- I mean, you can totally see where in the moment that would be super stressful when there's not a super firm script, and yeah. obviously Robert Downey Jr. is pretty gifted at that. And well, she must be
0: gifted too, then, because oh, yeah. it feels so natural. And all the talking over each other, banter that you said—it's like I love yeah. it. Like if you, ca- you catch other lines that like she's saying back in the background, yeah, and it's amazing.
1: <laughs> so I was thinking about this. And the directors that have actually now directed Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark the most are the Russo brothers between Civil War and uh, the two Infinity Saga Avengers movies. Um, But, and and, I mean, you know, they do a great job. I love where the character goes. I love how they close out the story. But there's something really special about the pairing of Jon Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. in these movies where it's like a certain kind of Tony, that I'm not saying that it's that the future is is worse, you know, with what the Russo brothers do or with what Shane Black does or John Watts and Spider Man, but I just there's something that feels a little special whenever you have Favre directing him. Uh, that I love.
0: I think that he directed it like into a way where they cemented him going forward. Right. Like I still think there's a lot of Favreau inspired Iron Man that you get later but it's because of how much this movie laid the foundation, you know?
1: I think that's I think that's true. Um, yeah, there's just something specific here that I feel. And, and, you know, part of it is it's just so fresh. I mean, th- this movie feels, even now, so fresh. It's so fast-paced and fun and kind of... It's kind of like what
0: an origin superhero movie should be. Oh, yeah. I wrote down this is like the pinnacle of origin stories, like... Right. And I love how kind of this is a weird thing to love, but uh, it's light on action and yet still feels fast paced, meaning like you don't get a ton of in suit flying around Iron it's Man. true.
1: Yeah. I mean, but it's,
0: it does. The movie never
1: drags. And OK, so Kyle, think about this. What other origin film is even in the ballpark with this one?
0: I mean, would you count Spider-Man Homecoming as an origin? Because that would be up there. But. I mean... I don't think we can. Maybe Guardians of the Galaxy 1, which for me personally is up there, but sure. that's kind of got a team dynamic. Right. So it's a little different, but...
1: In terms of a solo origin movie, I mean, obviously, we, we all know how I feel about Captain America, but I, I don't think that that is on the level no, with Iron no. Man. I don't... But even even movies that come out... I mean, Thor, no. Ant-Man, Doctor Stra- uh Well, and that's the that's the problem. I mean, even... Even Black Panther is not really – they didn't have to do the work of an origin story because they already had Civil War. The same thing with with Homecoming. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know any other movie that started a character from scratch this successfully. I mean, we talked about the issues that Captain Marvel had. You talked about the issues you thought Captain America had. Okay, but that's one of my other favorite things about the MCU
0: is that we don't have to have this obsession with origin stories. So, this one kind of lays the groundwork, but by them doing those other things, sneaking characters into other movies, right. I actually love that they get help with their own origin stories by doing that, you know?
1: Yeah. No, I think it's Which is smart. one of the
0: reasons I remember we talked about moving Captain Marvel even in this viewing order up, right? So that we kind of sneak her in. Right. Before later, but Yeah. No, I mean, I think this movie, yeah, as an origin story stands stands on top and it was foundational for not just, I mean, a lot of movies' origin stories in general you could trace to some of the themes from this, this movie.
1: That's true. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's the case.
0: How important in hindsight now was Yinsen saying, don't waste your life to Tony Stark?
1: Oh, right. You ever I, thought about that? I actually, I remember thinking about that uh, maybe the second time I saw Endgame, thinking about that in that final scene because it's such a callback.
0: Um, in the same way that the Avengers, in the Avengers, when the wormhole is opened, that event scars Tony and and like affects his decisions going forward for so long about right. you know what I mean about b- being able to protect the universe, protect the world. This movie sets him on a trajectory of he can't get that line out of his head of "Don't waste your life," you well,
1: know. And there's that line with Pepper where you know he's like, "There, there are no." interviews or galas or whatever, there's the next right. mission and that's it. And I mean, if you think about what happens to him through the neck, I, I think in a lot I of just ways- got,
0: I just got chills. I just got chills thinking I about mean,
1: it. That's why he, he really, he creates, I mean, his entire life becomes being Iron Man, even you know after he announces that and creating Avengers Tower and then creating the, the Avengers headquarters upstate. And, and that's why I think in some ways- I mean, even to the point where, you know, he and Pepper were broken up for a while. And I think that's why him meeting Peter is such a turning point in some ways. Right,
0: because I got a side note from that. Like frustrated Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. is probably my favorite acted Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah, because he's he's so quippy and he's so funny and he t- makes everything lighthearted. Like think of the scene in Civil War when they're discussing the accords and he's still making like light of it. Like who's putting coffee in the? You know what I'm talking about? Right. Oh yeah. He's no, still making jokes, scene. so he, nothing seems to bother him. But whenever he actually gets bothered, that's my favorite Tony. So I think about like Endgame. I think about Civil War when he grabs Cap and says, did you know, did right. you know that look on his face? Oh, yeah. And in this movie, I love when he finally gets to that point. He's like, are we dealing under the table? Oh, All those yeah. kinds of like frustrated Tony are my favorite Tony.
1: Yeah, it's, okay, so speaking of Jeff Bridges, I love Jeff Bridges in general as an actor. It's hard not to. And I really like his kind of corporate bad guy. I think it's a really smart villain for a movie like this. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I have a caveat there that I'll get to when we move into what didn't work. Well, Um, do you want to
0: just say it? Do you want to just move into what doesn't work?
1: Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, Because I think we both know that the vast majority of things here work. Um, (laughs) I don't like Ironmonger as a villain. I like Jeff Bridges. This is something where I've always struggled with There is such a left turn in the last 20 minutes of this movie where he goes just, I can't make myself believe that it would make sense for this guy that's trying to just take over a company to suddenly don this suit and start just trying to murder people whenever Pepper knows that's him in the suit. So even if he kills Tony, the agents all know that he's there in the suit. And there's no, I mean, there's no sign that he can for sure make sure he takes all of them out. So I've always thought, like, okay, even in this, like, big last battle, like, it feels a little goofy to me. I feel like Jeff Bridges isn't quite settled in to that version of the character. And then finally, I'm always like, okay, even if he does kill Tony here, like, there's no way that he gets out of this with just going back to being, you know, CEO of Stark Industries,
0: I've never thought of it that way, but you're 100% right. The the villain that I love in, in Jeff Bridges is all pre him getting into his own suit. Right. Even when he steals the technology from Tony from like paralyzing him, that's still believable to me. Oh, like he yeah. could probably hide that and, and, and not let that out. But by the time he's trying to kill him, it's a little bit like, wait a second, what's his like end game after he kills all these people? Yeah. They're just going to like give him the job. Maybe the thought with the devil's advocate would be that he, he plans to kill Tony and Pepper, and then he spins those two deaths in some other way. Then he can run the company as he wants.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, again... And he could
0: maybe take the suit to the Middle East and,
1: and fund war through it. I don't know. But they, but like, there are all these agents that Pepper's already debriefed. I mean, she's gone to, to S.H.I.E.L.D. and told everybody that he's built a suit. Another
0: thought I do, I'm having now live is, well, maybe he doesn't know about those agents yet. Like at this point, he's just going off the deep end once the agents found out, but he didn't know that, you know,
1: that's fair. That's fair.
0: Like he, he saw the agents in there. Then he's probably like, Oh crap. I got to I got a mess on my hands. I got to kill these six. And then, you know, I then guess it's getting out of hand for him. Right.
1: And I guess we're supposed to, we're supposed to understand that he's just kind of losing it at that point. But,
0: but I, I agree with you in general. I wrote down that, like, I don't think he's a bad villain or an excellent villain. I think it's like, average to a little bit above average
1: to me i think for
0: these movies it's like a b villain
1: i I, yeah i think i would say a villain like an a a plus villain in some ways up until the moment he gets in the suit and then i would say c villain
0: okay yeah that's um, and i'm on the same page with that that doesn't hurt my feelings um but one reason i love this movie so much is that so much of the movie isn't about that last fight. So I'm with you that the last fight can be a little strange. Right. Like, what, what are we doing? But so much of the movie is a, that I love is about leading
1: up to that, you know? So here's what's interesting uh, that I had not known. Again, to make a comic book reference, you know, uh, Iron Man's kind of biggest, most famous villain by far is the Mandarin. Yeah.
0: Yep. I read that.
1: So th- did you know that they were that he was originally going to be the villain in the first Iron Man film? No, I did not know that, though. So John Favre wasn't actually trying to replace the Mandarin forever with Obadiah Stane. His thought was that the villain made more sense given the tone of this movie, since it's a lot more grounded and it's all kind of wrapped up in what's going on in Tony's company to have someone that's sort of doing a corporate espionage thing. But what John Favreau wanted to do originally with the trilogy was work towards the slow reveal of the Mandarin, which you see he started in the first film because the whole Ten Rings gang is like that's that's a reference to the Ten Rings and the Mandarin in the comics. So the idea was going to be all of these people that he's introducing little by little wind up working for the Mandarin. And then the last movie, he said he wanted it to be like the emperor in the original Star Wars trilogy where then, you know, you've heard about and you've heard about him. You've seen people that work for him and you finally see him and it's kind of a big moment. So I don't know. It's really interesting to kind of imagine what that would have looked like under John yeah. Favre's, uh plan. Had he not bowed out and um, given the reins over to Shane black.
0: Yeah. Like I said, there's so much that works, but the things that don't work for me are really tiny, but it a little bit bothers me that, there's two roadies actors and that there's two to three different Howard Starks at this point, you know, right. like younger versions that don't look like they'd be the same person. Right. Um, and I get that there's practical hurdles and all that. Now, did you hear about the Terrence Howard thing? Cause I was doing some research into that.
1: I did, but I'm curious to hear what you saw.
0: Well, I just saw that. I mean, he's a little bitter that he's out of the MCU for obvious reasons. I mean, it blew up. Sure. Um, but Apparently I'd heard that he had gotten a little difficult to work with and stuff on set. And so he got fired basically. Yeah. And I think he did a really good job in this movie. Not that I don't like Don Cheadle, but obviously something wasn't right moving forward. And that's just a bummer in and of itself. That's my point.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I read kind of the two accounts that I saw were one that whenever he came in, he was actually the highest paid actor for iron man. Uh, because, as you've said, Robert Downey Jr. was not in a—he didn't have any star power at that time. Then, whenever Iron Man became what it became, and Robert Downey Jr. became a star again, his salary obviously went way up, and so Terrence Howard's had to go down. There was
0: more contract stuff than than just
1: on set stuff. Right. But on the flip side, that's what I've heard from Terrence Howard in terms of why he chose to walk away from the franchise, but there are also reports that yeah, Favreau was just not happy with Howard's performance and that they had to do a lot of reshoots of his scenes and that he just wanted a different actor in the role. So it's hard to say if it's both or, or well, either or another, way but-
0: though, my point is that it's a bummer that it has to change. That's all. Same. Not that the change wasn't good. Just, I don't love that there is change, you know, it is hard um, because
1: you get a lot of you get a lot of good moments that I would have liked to have seen carry all the way through, and it feels like there's a little bit of a break.
0: So the only other reason why this movie's not perfect in my brain, right, is that I think the music hasn't aged well at all, mm. um, and that's weird for me to say because Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine helped with a lot of the guitar work, and I'm a huge Rage Against the Machine fan, uh-huh. but it just it doesn't age well. It, it to me, I get what they're trying to do, but I don't love it. And quick side note, Tom Morello got a cameo as one of the terrorists in this movie. Thought that oh, was kinda, that's funny. kinda awesome. And then the other thing is a little bit of the CGI has not aged well. So much of it still looks amazing. I love these visuals even over like Captain America 1 like we talked about. Right. But there's a few scenes that just haven't quite aged perfectly. One of the coolest scenes in the movie is his first ever suit up where he's pissed off. Right. And it still is a cool scene, but it does look CGI now. Like you can tell we've advanced 10 years later. Right. So I have to knock that down just a teeny bit. So,
1: but you know, that's not the movie's fault at, you know, for being made in 2008.
0: Right. No, it's not, it's not its fault, but I have to give that caveat. So those are the two things, the music and the CGI that haven't aged. I don't love that there's different actors for Rhodey and Howard Stark multiple times throughout the universe, and I don't think Obadiah is an A-plus villain. And I got one last thing I want to hear your thought on. Okay. The only other scene that I don't buy in the entire movie, right, of all the scenes, the only other one I I get frustrated with Uh is there's a scene where Tony finally is turning things around, and he's working on the suit, and he's going to go over to the Middle East and help, and he goes to Rhodey, his best friend who's been by his side through everything, right? He's by his side on all of Tony's antics. But for some reason, when Tony comes to him and says, I'm working on something big, but it's not weapons, Rhodey won't even hear him out. That's the most frustrating part of the whole movie to me. Rhodey says like, no, you need to get your mind right. And he won't even like listen to his friend saying, I'm working on something really big and I want you to be a part of it. And Rhodey gets mad at him for that. Of all the things, that's the least believable to me. It's such a practical hurdle, but, like, really? Huh. Rhodey wouldn't have heard him. I understand why they didn't have him hear him because they wanted to use it as a storytelling device later on, right? That he doesn't right. know that it's him in the suit, blah, blah, blah. But, come on, that's where my practical brain, I can't suspend that belief. He won't even listen to him. He says he's working on something big, and I want you to be a part of it. No, don't even say that to me. Get your mind right. Yeah. Come on. That's the only scene that frustrates me
1: in the movie. Well, I my thing is I almost feel like that scene never should have happened, period. And then I think that Tony like the a lot it, there are these lines where he talks about, I mean, all of Iron Man 2, right? Is him trying to keep this away from the from the military. And so there's a part of me that's like I know that Roddy's his best friend, but why would he go to Roddy on a military base and offer? Well, I
0: think he's trying to tell him. I think he's trying to tell him as a friend, not as a military.
1: Yeah, but still, I mean, he doesn't. I mean, he keeps it from Obadiah. I mean, he he ostensibly would have kept it from Pepper until she kind of walks in on him taking the suit off. So I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks that that. I mean, it's a fun scene. That part doesn't really bother me because I think what we're getting is that everybody in Tony's life is thinking he's kind of having a breakdown and going crazy. So I think maybe maybe like- But it's not believable. Yeah. No, I see that though. I see what you're saying. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think other than that, I think you're right. I think it's aged remarkably well for how old it is. I think that, you know, watching it, I still had a ton of fun. Um, Robert Downey Jr.'s Performance is just as good as it ever was. And so I have one question. Does it bother you that in Captain
0: Marvel they are already calling it SHIELD? But then in this movie, he like plays it off like, yeah, we don't know a name yet. My wife says he's just playing it coy, but I'm like, no, he would have said earlier on it's SHIELD. Stop making jokes about our name.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually my least favorite thing about this about or my least favorite line in this movie, I think, because I think about that every time I watch it. Even, even if we didn't know later that S.H.I.E.L.D. existed in Captain Marvel, just the fact that like they have all the words, that the acronym is S.H.I.E.L.D., Right, like it's, and then he's like, oh, well, you know, like we're, we're working on it. Like it's right there in it. front, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like it's not working on it. That's just what the abbreviation is. But it's weird that this like, at the end, we're supposed to think like, oh, they've just cracked the code.
0: How dumb of an organization are they that they can't figure out that those letters spell shield? Right. <laughs> Took them 20 years.
1: So, I mean, maybe that, maybe, you know, Annika's right in that it is. He's just being funny. He's being kind of coy about it. Because that's kind of how I've tried to justify it. But I think that it was just, I think that it was a, um, short-sighted move on John Favreau's part to kind of make it a fun reveal there at the end where everyone's like, oh, it's S.H.I.E.L.D. and then you see Nick Fury, who everyone associates with S.H.I.E.L.D. But I think that in the larger universe, it, it that doesn't work, and I don't know if there's really a way to reconcile it.
0: Okay, so just really rapid fire, since everyone knows this movie, here's a lot of other things that I was obsessed with. This is really rapid fire. Okay. Um, the first time Pepper changes his heart out, you know, the transplant is amazing. Yeah. Obviously gonna be uh foreshadowing what's to come. Um, I love the line when he says, I never got to say goodbye to my father, which is kind of cool. Yeah. The cheeseburger references. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. That's where we get the cheeseburger yeah. stuff. Um, and I never caught the reference that Pepper, when she's taking his heart out, says, It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay to him, which is so cool because He then says that to his father. Obviously, there's a bunch of ties in with that later. Right. Um, The I Am Iron Man line, which we talked about, proof that Tony Stark has a heart. Yeah. Um, Just don't waste your life. Um, I wrote down in my good column, RDJ, RDJ, RDJ. (laughs) Uh, Just so many things I love about it. Yeah. But also... Uh, Obadiah and Pepper when Pepper's trying to steal the information from the computer. That's an awesome
1: scene. The tension in that scene is amazing. So that's the that's the Jeff Bridges villain that I love. By the way, yeah, that that's scene when I is think it great. works really well.
0: I love whenever Marvel makes tension out of moments that aren't super violent. Yeah, um, and they do that a couple times in this movie, Homecoming, which we'll get to, stuff like that. Um, and then obviously the first suit up scene, the tank no look scene. So there's a ton of scenes, ton of lines that I love. So and obviously there's a ton that's foundational. So there's a lot about this that works. Very little that doesn't work. My overall takeaway is that there's great acting. Is it the most important film in the MCU? Question mark. That's what I wrote down. Amazing dialogue and chemistry. RDJ deserves recognition, but the villain, the CGI, and the music are slightly dated. So that's my overall Iron Man yeah. 1 summary.
1: Yeah, I would say um, just kind of what I love, I think, the most and what I think is most significant moving forward is just the change that we get here of Tony from just totally selfish and self-absorbed to being focused almost exclusively just on rectifying kind of his own personal wrongs. But then even by the by the time we get to the end of the movie, that shifted a little bit towards he's just wanting to generally kind of do good and make up for not really being that great of a person before then. It's crazy to me how that arc builds and builds to become not just I'm going to kind of do penance for what I've done bad, but now I, I'm taking it upon myself to literally protect the whole world and then universe. I think is right, is a right. really, it's cool how they slowly, these different directors take us through kind of each step to where you can see how you get from point A to, to point Z.
0: Okay, so let's see. Rotten Tomatoes gave this movie a... Uh, 93% critics, and 91% audience. So just generally loved. Right. And I originally gave it a 93%, and I'm going to leave it right there. It's a 93% for me because it would be 100% other than those tiny little things I said. But this is obviously a very high ranking. This is a high score. And it's going to be up there in my list. So 93 for Kyle.
1: Yeah, um, I'm actually pretty close. I'm at a 92. Okay. So uh we both
0: generally just love this film.
1: <laughs> oh no, it's great. And so I have it ranked uh number 7 of 23. Think about
0: how cool it is that this movie which is so great is still only the 7th best movie in the MCU. Yeah.
1: Just great. Yeah, it's it's great. There's really there's just not much bad to say about it. And I'm really excited to get into our next film uh which is Iron Man 2 to kind of see how right. the same team moves forward because like I said earlier that that film is not as widely loved
0: who baby but that's one of the reasons why i'm so excited to talk about it so go home throw iron man 2 in your blu-ray player your dvd player and then let's meet back here next week to talk about it we'd love to hear your thoughts on anything we've talked about so far especially uh anything from iron man 1 here but otherwise we'll see you next week thanks for listening as always this is the friends from work podcast thank you